Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, former athletic department employee Tommy Smith. This is going to be part one of probably a two, maybe three-part episode. We are going to have the question and answer session on this later because the audience had a lot of questions. I wanted to give Tommy a little bit of a break. Uh, He has had a rough week. And so with that, we are going to split this podcast in half, and you will hear the questions that I had for him. We will take audience questions in another episode this week. Today's news is presented by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Well, the dominoes are falling across the college football landscape. The Big Ten will not play football this fall. The SEC has not made a decision. The MAC has decided not to play in the fall and try to play in the spring. And to that, the Mountain West has also canceled its fall football season. Our guest line presented by Bolin Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bolin Branch sheets were until I got them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BolinBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. We will not run the question and answer session today, but that, of course, brought to you by our good friend Josh Minton, who is an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Call Josh today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. Tommy Smith joins me now. You probably know the name if you were listening to the podcast. Tommy, of course, was Malcolm Turner's right-hand man at Vanderbilt when Turner was the AD for a year. Tommy, thank you for joining us. You do so from a hospital bed. I know your back has been killing you. I gave you opportunities to to beg out of this, but you are a gamer, sir, and thank you for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me, and uh, I had a little back. Uh, a little nerve damage and had to took an ambulance over here Saturday, but I'm at Centennial and they're taking good care of me. So I'm happy to help. Well, if people don't know who you are apart from Vanderbilt, here is your background. You came from the NBA. You were a four-time executive of the year in the CBA. I believe you've won every titles in every on every staff that you've ever coached in basketball, I believe that's MTSU, Austin P, Cumberland, and the Music City Jammers, which I remember uh, long ago. I believe you have gotten an NBA Lifetime Achievement Award. I know you are well thought of in the basketball community. Am I leaving anything out in your intro here? Oh, I don't know. Uh, thank you for that. I've tried to uh, to succeed and 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 do the right thing wherever I've been and and have been fortunate to be, I think, successful everywhere I've been. And I don't know what else I've done. I don't really like to talk about it, but I don't like to lose. And I like to be a part of winning cultures. Tell us how you wound up at Vanderbilt for a year. Well, I was at the NBA for 14 years, vice president, and I was Malcolm's vice president in charge of expansion and and uh, team, you know, team running the teams and, and putting them negotiating leases and all those types of things. I did quite a bit. And when this opportunity came up for him, 
obviously now I was living in Nashville, it's my hometown, and I've had two knee replacements and a hip replacement, so I was I was wearing down all the travel, and uh, we talked about it, and and I he asked me would I come, and I said I would, but I needed to you know we had to talk about some of the details, not necessarily for me because I took a big pay cut to come, but it was more about the challenge and be able to come home to Nashville. So that's kind of how it started. What conditions were you and Malcolm Turner hired under? What were your expectations in terms of what you thought you would be able to change there? Well, I can't speak for him because I wasn't in those discussions, but my advice to him over many dinners in New York was, was to make sure there was a commitment to winning in athletics. And that commitment involves resources and, uh, fair you know uh, being able to compete fairly and and at, the, and at the same time never was there any discussion about lowering academic standards or the values I, I think that's a convenient excuse for people I don't think it's an issue at all at Vanderbilt but it was more about uh, does winning matter are they willing to put money into facilities are they willing to get behind it and build a world-class uh, athletic department of student athletes at Vanderbilt University well, again, I know you don't speak for Malcolm Turner, but I'm presuming that those conditions were met in order for him to take the job. And I was hearing that concessions had been granted. I don't know the specifics. You may not know either, but was that your impression? Given Yeah, everything? I don't know. And, and all these are my opinions, because I wasn't involved in everything, but I think that's right. And uh, once uh, my sense is once there was a change in leadership, that all changed. I don't know that. that was, like I said, those are my opinions. But I did. I was pretty adamant to him. If if you don't have a, if you don't have, a, if they're not willing to, to win, you don't want to go because you know he likes to build things and so do I. You know we uh, took the G League from what eight teams to twenty eight and franchise values to five hundred thousand to fourteen million, and that that doesn't happen by luck, and that's a, that was a challenge. And I was I was looking forward to the challenge of Vanderbilt. What were your first thoughts when you got there and you got acclimated? Uh, I think there was a couple. One of them was the facilities were more out of date than I had even thought. And secondly, I think the the standards were just very low in terms of what they could be. I think the status quo was good enough and the, the, the bar was very low. And, and what I mean by that is in, in terms of facilities and resources and wins and losses. And I think the uh, my goals were coming there and I told Malcolm, one of them is, is to be there and, and get football to where you can win the Eastern Division. You know, you know, I'm not saying you're going to compete with Alabama every year, as nobody else does, but get the facilities to where you can you can win the East. And in bat, men and women's basketball, you're a, a, a NCAA participant much more than not because uh, the facilities in basketball you can win right now. Do they need to be improved? Absolutely, but they don't keep you from winning. Football, you can't win with the present facilities. You can't compete. You're, you're, you're too much of a disadvantage. And, and those, were my, those were my goals going in there because I think Vanderbilt fans are starving to win and see a commitment almost to the point where they overreact even the, even the hint of decent news. And I think they deserve more. And uh, uh, I think they're loyal and they, they want to win. And I think they're frustrated. And, and I was looking forward to really really doing all that. What were the things that were glaring in terms of facilities needs? You know, I, I think it's, you, you said the key word needs. There's this notion that the athletes have to be just like regular students. That's not the, that's, it's not for anybody 
to tell them how they should live their lives. They, they get to chase their own dreams and visions, and they, they are regular students. The difference is, and you said it, is the needs of athletes are different than the needs of, of uh, math majors or, or law, poli science, or whatever. And the needs are different. You know, you don't go over and, and athletics, you're, and, and the, none of this is geared towards lowering the, the academic standards. Not at all. That's an excuse. Or I reject as false. You got to be stupid to play athletics. You know, you, there's certain certain people you won't recruit, but, but you don't recruit some of it's not a fit. And, you know, you don't go over to study at the law library on Thursday night and have somebody tackle you out in this grass so they can get in and you can't. You know, you're competing only against yourself. In athletics, you're competing against others that are trying to stop you from competing. And they need more nutrition, sports science, facilities, uh, staff. And you look at Alabama, what they've done with uh, their sports science and the two new guys they hired and they're cutting edge, Vanderbilt should be that. And I've always felt like there's this notion that to, to keep from favoring athletics, they almost, almost, almost go against them. And I've never understood that. They're not, they're student athletes, but they're almost looked at as athlete students. Why is that so hard for people over there to understand. I mean, my opinion is they've got a lot of people making decisions for athletes that have no idea what comes with the territory. That's my opinion. And you may not have an answer either, but you did work there and you saw some things. So I'm curious what you think on that. Well, I actually agree with that. I think, I think I was the only person in Magoogan other than and the, and, I, and the coaches want to win. I take them out. If they work hard or doing more with less. God bless all of them. You got to give them the. You you can't evaluate them until you give them the proper resources, and I don't think, you know, I wouldn't if I'm I would have the philosophy of Vanderbilt. I always hear people criticize the athletics. Well, I believe in the in the rule. Bill Belichick, you know, speak for yourself, and I wouldn't allow anybody else on that campus to criticize another another department, and I wouldn't allow anybody in athletics to criticize the faculty. Why that is one sided, I don't know. And I would never let the faculty make athletic decisions, and I would never let the athletic people make faculty decisions. Input, yes, but there's there's a premeditated uh, resentment towards some of that, and I think the faculty is is terrific. They get a world class education. If they're jealous of another part of that university, they ought to leave. And the same thing goes from athletics. You know, stay in your lane, do your job, do it right. And, and it can be done there. All you have to do is look across the street at Tim Corbin, how good they are, why that can't be replicated. It's not complicated. It's hard work. But I was told by one person that was a, as a very high up person, I won't give any names, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, that a dollar spent on athletics, we all know is a dollar not spent on academics. And you, you think of that statement, first off, it's ridiculous, but it's actually true. But you could also say the same thing about toilet paper in the dorms and heat and and safety. Why athletics? It, why does it have to be one or the other? I think that comment was shocking that somebody could be in a position of that high up and make that comment. It's it's just not – It's there's a difference between being educated and intelligence. They're not the same thing. There's a lot of topics – there, I've got some things I wanted to, to get to, and you beat me to a few, and I'm going to circle back to those later. But the way that I perceived it, Tommy, 
there was this air of excitement around the program last summer that I had not seen. When I say the program, I mean the athletic program. And I was hearing that you guys were doing facilities comps from some places like Texas A&M and Michigan. And maybe you're not going to aim as high as or they did or maybe were going to aim and you, you knew you might not get it, but at least that's where the bar was set. And there's all this optimism around what could be and all sorts of stuff like everything is on the table to where – there might be a new football stadium or a new basketball arena. It just seemed like what I kept hearing last summer, and I think this changed maybe early to mid-fall. We will get to that in a minute. But it did really seem to me, from what I was hearing, that everything was on the table as a possibility. That's that's exactly right. And I'll, I'll say this. When I was there – I think, you know, uh, well, first off, getting ready for this podcast, I've been out, I've been off the grid since February. I hadn't had a haircut since then. I haven't paid attention. I didn't shave for two months. I looked like a cross between the Unabomber and Saddam Hussein. So in, in, in transparency to get ready for this podcast, I asked Chris, send me everything that's been going on. I need to read articles and get caught up and whatnot. But I will say when I was at Vanderbilt, uh, I thought your reporting was so spot on and I called Alan George, who's a ter- terrific young man over there, and said, who are his sources? He's hitting too close to home. It didn't bother me what you were saying because it was true. It was really close to home. And maybe there, I can't give any specifics. There may have been a thing or two that maybe I didn't want out at that time. That didn't bother me. If it's if it's untrue or I didn't think it was accurate, I would call. And I know I never called you. I know Malcolm never did. So first thing when something like that happens is, is it accurate? And everything you just said is true. That's all I was working on was those types of things because I think that's what was needed and needed to be a drastic overhaul because the facilities basically are five years from being 10 years away. And I had even said to Malcolm one day, I said, if you get me the support and the infrastructure of the university, I can raise the money by myself. And he said, I know you can. And we never got back to it because it would have taken some work, but I thought that's what was needed. And these are my opinions and, you know, university can have theirs, but I think the excellence, uh, I don't think you can be excellent in one part and bad in another and call yourself great. Well, to piggyback off that, like I said, there was all this excitement about everything is on the table, and then it just got weird in the middle of football season where you stopped hearing as much. Uh, some stuff would leak out later. One thing I heard was that, there was a possibility of moving the baseball field. I, I don't think that was something that you guys necessarily really entertained. But, again, it was back to that everything is sort of on the table. Let's see where this goes thing. And then it started getting really quiet, I guess, late I, in fall around Thanksgiving. I agree what, with that. What was happening? Well, I don't know. But my sense is once there was a change at the chancellor's position, that's, these are just my opinions, because it did, it was a quick hard stop. and. I think what you have to do in terms of Vanderbilt's athletics is, is hire somebody, go in there and give them card boss to change it because you can't – I said in many meetings, Vanderbilt's a very elite school, and it is, but that doesn't, doesn't mean you have to act elitist. And I do think in, in terms of athletics, it doesn't meet the sophistication and the cutting edge that they do everywhere else over there. And uh, it's, it's, it, it's Cubert Zirconium. It could be a gold mine. I don't think they know the difference. Let's go to, I, I guess, and maybe this is speculative because 
I, I don't know if there's ever a moment in time, but was there a, a point where you thought this is really going horribly wrong and this is not going in the direction that we thought it would go when we were hired? You know, that's a great question. I'll answer it two ways. The first thing that internally bothered me a lot was the Georgia football game. And I'm there, I'm up in the suites with Malcolm Sweet and all the university leadership is there and donors and whatnot. And the stadium's 98% Georgia. It's all Georgia. And everybody, not one single person said to me, how do we change this? I even tried to throw little hints out in some conversations and everybody up there was having a blast, enjoying the game, good food. And the stadium was, uh, I mean, you were there. It was 95 to 98% Georgia fans. And I was miserable. And there just did not seem, seem to be any awareness of what they were seeing and or to change it. And literally not one person said to me, how do we change this ever? And that, that was something that I was, I was very glad to me because I was not happy at the game. I was miserable. I don't want these people in our house. You know, I, I, you can take measures not to sell them tickets. I don't, I don't believe in that. It's, it's up to us to get our people to buy tickets. But it didn't seem to matter. And I wondered right then and there, do they understand? Do they have the commitment? Because everybody up there had a blast. And my old boss, rest his soul, David Stern, if he'd have been there and he'd have seen anybody smile and he'd have thrown them off the stadium top, he, wouldn't, he would not allow it. And that, that's my background and I, I go back to it. I was just flabbergasted how much fun everybody had. And I, I couldn't enjoy it when it's all Georgia and our team's getting clobbered and doesn't have the same resource. It's not a fair fight. And I, was, I, I did not enjoy that. Yeah, I think my memory that night, it was probably legitimately 75, if not 80% full. I mean, either way, once you get your stadium taken over to that level, especially on opening night, you yeah, know you've got a problem, I, right? It It was – I think the stadium was full. Honestly, I think it was 90% Georgia fans, if not more. I really do. But but nobody seemed to care. That's where I say the standards are so low. It was like, I, I go back to an analogy. I like to follow Alabama football. I used to work for uh, Nick's agent. And they beat Georgia, you know, when Tua threw the touchdown pass. Coach Saban was still fuming about the sack he took the play before. That's what great coaching leadership is. You know, he was so – he was focused on that. He would talk to Tua after the game, how could you do that? And Tua said, well, Coach, I wanted to give us more room to to, to throw the bomb. And Nick said, that's not funny. <laughs> but my point is he, there's a focus of excellence there, and the standard is so high. And, and, then, and then the next game, LSU, same thing. Same thing, all LSU fans. And then you go down the road to the East, East Tennessee State game, you got 500 people there. I, I, my standards are way higher than that. So I know that the facilities stuff, all the buzz on that started getting dialed back. I remember getting a call from somebody over at Vanderbilt when I started saying, hey, here's some things I'm hearing. It was very obvious to me. This was sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas that they really wanted to kill that talk. I don't think they wanted it out there that, you know, maybe the places you guys were aiming for lack of a better way to put it. But let me ask you this. Where did you perceive the resistance came from? I know that I've had multiple people tell me that Malcolm Turner was having some issues with Susie Stalkup in development. 
where did you sense that the resistance for what you guys were trying to do was coming from? You know, uh, probably what you just mentioned, I think, was there. And I think there's just a resistance to change uh, uh, because everything was – you know, I think there was some – there's some talk about you got two NBA guys down here. They don't know how this is run. And it, I think it's in, in, on the face, that's true. I did not know how Vanderbilt was run, but I do, I do know how it was working. And I think things should have been done differently. That could, that's a difference of opinion, but you know, maybe the NBA guys had a little, had some sophistication at a, at a higher level that things could have been better, but it was never given chance to a chance to work. I, I don't know what went on behind the scenes. I have my own ideas and I, you know, not going to any details because I'd be speculating. That's not fair to anybody. But nothing's changed. I know that. And if nothing, you know, if nothing changes, the results don't change. And change can't be verbal. It's got to be tangible. And uh, I was dealing with the architect, or excuse me, the engineer, all the time. And I always went to dinner. Actually, became good friends. And it was, you know, a lot of things were on the table. And it did. It was all of a sudden it just stopped. And I, I just you know, I don't think that was really good, but that's that's just my opinion. This may be unfair because I know you've been disconnected for a while, but the strategic plan when Candace Lee announced it and came out with what she had, do you remember where that differed between what you and Malcolm had worked on and what was made public? No, I don't. I don't remember. No, I really don't. But the strategic plan, which I was heavily involved with, was a conduit to facilities upgrades because, you know, uh, that's, that's, you know, this is the SEC. It's a big boy league. And, you know, it's, uh, people call it an arms race. I don't, it's a development race. People, they want to, they want to be the best. And a lot of it was geared towards that. And uh, let's face it, Vanderbilt is way, way behind in their, in their resources and facilities for their sports. And that's why uh, that was, that was my big, my big thought. If you want to put those, it's not going to matter. Tommy, I know one thing that you guys were doing, and I heard good feedback on this for some football alums, was the trying to connect the football players back to campus. I think you guys, I don't know if it was a big breakfast for homecoming or something like that or some luncheons. My details are, are fading a little bit, but talk about what you guys were doing with that and, well, we, and if yeah, that meant some resistance. All, had them, invite them all back and fed them all, and I don't think – Feeding them was, was some folks thought that was overboard. I don't. I heard over and over and over again from alums that McGugan has been closed for years and that Vanderbilt doesn't take care of their own. And uh, I actually agree with that. And, and I wanted to open those doors. We had a nice lunch and had people over basically trying to, trying to show them we're going to do things differently. You know, people may disagree with some of them, but we're not doing the same things. And I thought there was some momentum there. But there's a there's a philosophy around some folks over there that they don't they don't agree with that. I think they're wrong. I think you got to invest in your own people. And I, for one, would go to breakfast almost five days a week with 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 alums, people, anybody that reached out to me. And one person said I was spending too much money on those. And that's you know if you can't afford some pancakes, you're not going to win the SEC. You know I I just believe in being accessible and 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 letting people be heard. Because I and it was it was really becoming overwhelming because a lot of the issues that people would have were just being ignored, and they they deserved to be listened to, and the the football alums, you know they it was it was it was the same 
type thing that they weren't appreciated and nobody listens to them and those types of things. And there's, and, and some of that's emotional for sure, but lot, some of it's a hundred percent true also. The black and gold club I know was something that you and Malcolm Turner were working on. I think that's something that Candace Lee came out with very recently. Tell us about the work that you guys did on that. Oh, I don't know any specifics other than we were going to do, you know, get it and get it under control. I saw where they just did something and, I saw, I don't know the gentleman, I think Kathy Bender was involved and she's, you know, you won't find a better lady than her. Very, very good. But I have a couple of things. First off is it should have been done years ago. I mean, why now, even though we were going to do it, but I think also, and this never comes up, every decision that's made over there is never made under the, under the auspices. Will it help us beat Georgia? Will it help us compete with Florida? Will it help us compete with South Carolina? That's what, that's what you start with on every decision every decision because you're competing. I'm not saying I can say I'm not saying lower the values of the academic standards. I actually think that's a plus if you know what you're doing and every decision in athletics should be made. How's it going to help us win and compete and develop the student athletes? They'll learn more in that realm. They will a classroom. You learn more about life in athletics. You can be educated in a classroom. You learn how to succeed in, in, in the streets. Does winning ever come up over there? Because ever since Never. Candace took over, I've not heard it mentioned once in a press release. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's it, been mentioned somewhere on a radio show. I mean, I, I say I'm sure. I don't know. But it, that's one thing that just strikes me is none of their communications ever talk about winning. It's never came up, Ryan. It was a big, big, big uh, uh, focus of mine. You could come in on a Monday and the football team had gotten clobbered on Saturday. And men and women's basketball team had got clobbered and it was business as usual. It didn't doesn't seem to bother most and winning the, the accountability of winning is right there in front of them. you can't dodge it you can't you can't corporate bs your way either you win or you're either there's winning or there's misery and it doesn't come up very much and when you think about vanderbilt it's not a coincidence that uh the two best coaches have come through there in years james franklin and tim corbin are best buddies greatness finds itself they don't accept losing and they don't cut corners they do it the right way. They develop players that they they want to win, and if they're not getting the resources, they're not going to be not going to lay down. They're going to, they're going to push back and do it themselves. And you need more of that. I I like those types of personalities because that's what I want. And you know, there's a lot of folks around. I ask a lot of questions to try to you know learn. And a lot of people would complain about James Franklin, and I thought. Well, the reason they're complaining is he got everybody out of their comfort level. He, he, you know, same thing with Coach Corbin. They don't accept the status quo, and their and their standards over there are just not high enough. And I look, I go back <clears throat> in football. You know, you can go back to 1967 and look at all the records. But you know, they beat Tennessee three or four times the last few years, and and everybody should be happy. Tennessee was bad. That don't declare victory. They were terrible. You know, don't you, you don't judge yourself by beating the worst. You judge yourself against the best, and and now they're they're getting better. Philip Fulmer knows what he's doing. You know, you got to go in there and win those recruiting battles with Georgia, Florida, LSU, Alabama, and Auburn. You got to go in there toe to toe with them, and, and they're doing more of that, and they're getting better. But my point is, I go back. The standards and the le- and the is is just not very high in terms of winning and excellence over there. 
You mentioned Tim Corbin. How does it work for him? Do they ever make any efforts to emulate his programs as the model? Because if I'm running that AD, first thing I'm saying is, look, we got a guy over here that's winning at the highest level. He represents everything that we want to be for. That, to me, seems like a very common-sense solution. Let's hold this guy up. Let's involve him with other coaches. Does that ever happen? How has he made it work? Not really. I wanted it to. I knew Coach Corbin before I got to Vanderbilt, and I – a uh, uh, fellow mutual friend of ours who, who taught him back in graduate school was a big deal to the NBA. And I remember the first time I met him, him and Miss Maggie, and I love them both. We came down, went to a game, went out to dinner. And I, I can, I like to consider myself intellectually curious. I love to learn and find out how things are going. So we go to dinner and I really wanted to just talk about Vanderbilt baseball, but I didn't get a chance. All Tim did the whole night was ask me about David Stern, rest his soul, what made him great? How did he do things? He's so intellectually curious. And John Wooden has a comment. You learn the most after you know it all. And that applies to some people over there. Tim Corbin is always learning. He's always improving. Uh, we brought in Mike Lombardi, who wrote the GM Shuffle, who's worked for Al Davis, Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick. He's brilliant to talk to the coaches. We, you know, we believe in coaching the coaches. And one coach asked me, pulled me aside as this guy now said, can I get some time with him? I said, absolutely. How much you want? It was Tim Corbin's. That's why he's the best. And greatness, greatness finds each other. He's best, really close friends with James Franklin. He's also close friends with Rick Bird. He's always learning. That's why I like, you know, I don't, I'm not into this so-called way, the Vanderbilt way. There is no way you're always changing, learning, improving, I don't, I'm not into that. Nick Saban has the process. Let me tell you, it changes every day. It improves. And when you say the way to me, that's an avoidance of accountability and that I know how to do it. Nobody else does. I, I, I think that's just verbal BS to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. One issue I have with them, I don't ever hear anybody taking accountability for everything. It seems like when something an opportunity goes by the window, whether that's fundraising campaigns where athletics isn't included or it's coaches talking. Now, Tim is the exception to this. Um, I, I hear a lot of excuses. I don't ever hear any administrative accountability. Does anybody well, ever do that over there? No, I think, you know, at the NBA, and believe me, I've seen plenty of people take responsibility for everything and accountability for nothing. I don't think, you know, you've got some wonderful people over there and they're, they're administrators and administrators. There's a difference between an administrator and a leader. And, you know, leaders have to have, have much thicker skin. They work under, uh, they can work under stress. They inspire and they motivate administrators just, you know, administrate and, uh, and you have to have them. You really do. But if they, but though anybody thinks that's, a, there's not a difference between that and a leader doesn't know what they're doing. And the, there's, you know, I, I just don't believe that I, I come in on a Monday and we've gotten clobbered all weekend. I'm not happy. Now, I'm not saying you got to jump up and down screaming at everybody because I don't do that. But by the same token, the word win never comes up. And, and it just doesn't. And go back. I did a lot of research. Go back to 1967 and look at the, the results of football and, and, and draw your own conclusions. And so that matters. You keep score. Not at the expense of academics, not at the expense of character, not at the expense of integrity. You know, the the athletic department does not mirror the excellence of the rest of the university. It does not. 
Vanderbilt should be the leaders in sports science and nutrition and all that. They're not. A couple of things happened this summer that sort of made the news a little bit. Uh, Let's start with the biggest one. The communications department, the athletics communications department, got absorbed into the university and under the direction, I guess, of Steve Ortel now. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? I have, I've, you know, once I, I tried to uh, uh, familiarize myself with what's going on for the podcast because I don't like to talk about things I don't know what I'm talking about first. So I read all about it. I would not have been in favor of it. I don't know what the thoughts were on that. If I'm the AD, I want it under my umbrella. Uh, I think personally throwing those people out during this pandemic whose heart and soul was a Vanderbilt who worked long hours, whose DNA was great, is almost cruel. I really do. Now, I've seen a lot of comments uh, negative about Steve Ortel. I found him to be a gentleman. I liked him a lot. He was accessible. He was smart. I really did like him a lot. And I don't know what they're thinking doing that. But just on the face, I know uh, I would not have been in favor of it. I know Malcolm wouldn't have been in favor of it. And those kids – you know, they're they're it's a labor of love for them. They weren't looking to move up. They enjoyed it. They worked hard, and they sure did a good job with baseball. You know, they, all the metrics were great, and the difference is baseball is a winning program with a, with you know had the facilities that you have to have, and they they actually gave them something to work with. They did a great job with it. Alabama hasn't done that. LSU hadn't done that. Georgia hadn't done that. So it makes you wonder. I just I, I was not a fan of that. I thought you know. Throwing those kids out in the street, I, I just didn't agree with it. Some stuff has changed over this summer. I know that the weight room was without air conditioning for two months. Uh, nutrition and food were bad enough that players, parents were order, catering food for kids at some point. Uh, and I know priority registration for athletes has been a sticking point for a long time. My understanding um, I, I'd been told that Malcolm Turner was working on getting the registration stuff and it improved the food. Um, those two things have been taken back. What were your thoughts on all that? And how does that happen at an SEC school? Well, uh, first off, prior, it goes back. The needs, the needs of athletes are different than the needs of Blair school folks and law school folks. And those folks should get all the needs to make them successful. Nutrition matters in athletics more than you don't have to. You can be 140 pounds. You can be 140 pounds in in a, a law major, but you can't play the SEC football doing that. So uh, the priority registration is a. I think 13 other SEC schools do it. It's it's used against Vanderbilt in recruiting because what they say is they don't care about you as a as a person to let let you get the classes you need because you're putting in so much extra time. I don't think that's special treatment. I think they should get it. And the nutrition, I was doing a lot of research on that because the needs of athletes' nutrition is much different than it is a regular student. And that's not, that's not special treatment. Uh, a shooting guard doesn't need new law books or a trumpet. He needs, he needs to be nutritionally. That's what, that's what he's, he's chosen that sport, just like somebody has chosen uh, to become a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. And they don't get the same, the needs aren't the same. And there's an inability to recognize that. And it shows up in the win loss column. It shows up in the facilities, uh, in the facilities and the sophistication. And you can say whatever you want. Everything I've said is true. Now, if they choose not to do it, that's fine. Just say so. But they're not, they're not giving them the needs that they need. 
to be successful in the athletic field. Tommy, basketball was your expertise. You have worked in it your whole life. I know that you tried to get involved and help there some. What's your impression um, of how that went while you were there and where that's headed? I really had really nothing to do with them. I offered, and they never really reached out to me, which is fine. You know, they do things the way they want to do. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a big staff. I'm not into big staffs. I like smaller groups. That's just my opinion. I'm not the coach. Jerry's a good coach. But you, you're not going to win games by out-coaching everybody. You may out-coach everybody, but you're not going to outscore them. And you've got to have, you've got to have a recruiting base and the acquisition of talent. And uh, I saw the uh, the Jeff Goodman uh, tweet and whatnot. And my and you know, basically what he said was is not untrue. It is a very very inexperienced staff, and I and I think the way Vanderbilt reacted to that lends itself to that being inexperienced. I remember years ago, Bob Stoop said something about uh, Nick Saban and the SEC in the summer. Of course, they ran to Nick Saban. And he says, well, I don't really care what he says. I'm too busy coaching my team. Jeff Goodman's not the enemy. You know, the enemy is, is, is these other teams, and you got to build a fortress around your focus. And the response to that actually validated what he said. Now, Jerry's a good coach. There's no doubt about it. And, but, yes, but there's a – there's six coaches in the SEC that's been to Final Fours, and Eric, and I don't, Eric Muscle was not even in that, and that guy can coach. So it's a grind, and it's a hard league. And, uh, you know, ultimately, it's, you know, you have your philosophy, and that's great. Ultimately, the wins and losses determine whether it's the right way to go or not. What would you and Malcolm Turner have done differently if you had to do it over again? I can't, I can't speak for him. You know, he's a good man, did a good job because I, I was not – I don't know what all went on behind the scenes. I can only speculate. And uh, I, it's just a hard question to answer. I wish I was, you know, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I came. I wish I was still there because I could have maybe, you know, reached the goals I had. Uh, but, I, you know, sometimes a fit, you know, can be bad. And people don't want change. And, and that's that's fine because we were changing everything. So, you know, you move on. I don't take any, don't take it personal. All are some good folks around there. I don't think there are very many competitive folks. I don't think they're very tough mentally or mentally. I don't. I think it's a little, uh, I think they're comfortable. Do you regret taking the job? Not at all. Not at all. It's a great experience. I could have stayed at the NBA. I don't, you know, I don't look back. Like I say, when I left Vanderbilt, I've been off the grid for two months, three months, or however long it's been. I don't regret it at all. I enjoyed it. Met some good folks there. Uh, I don't, I don't think, I think, uh, a lot of them, you know, people resist change and they don't, you know, it's different. And I, I really do. I think there's some good folks there with the heart, hearts on right. Some of them really, really, uh, I think flourished and others fought it. And uh, that's just the way things are. It, it wasn't given enough time to work. Tommy, I know, um, you've got dinner in front of you here and I, I've got, more questions than I can count to ask you. I think let's do this. Let's pause the podcast for the night and maybe circle back with the mailbag another day. Uh, but I know sure. folks have been really looking forward to hearing this. And I think that there might be more questions that come in after they hear the first one. So I appreciate you joining us tonight and wish I'll be you the more best. than happy. I wish, you know, I really wish Vanderbilt. Well, I want I wanted them to win. I really did. And not everybody knows how Excuse me, got the hiccups and I'm, I guess if I said anything stupid, I can blame it on the meds because I just got out of this. But 
happy to help. And I'll say again, I appreciate everything you did. I thought your sources, I actually, as I said, I tried to find out who your sources were. I said, I don't mind. You had, nothing you said was inaccurate. A lot of it was real close to the truth. You do a great job. And one of the reasons I nor Malcolm ever called you was you never said anything that was inaccurate. And I'm never worried about leaks unless it's untrue. You know, it's like if you tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. And I believe in that. Tommy, thanks for joining us. I know our audience uh, is going to look forward to hearing this when I post it, and we will catch up with with you again later this week. My pleasure. Take care, sir. Bye. He's Tommy Smith. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vandy Sports Podcast.